Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program. It's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. I'm Rachel Bade. This is Playbook Deep Dive. I'm standing outside House Majority Whip Tom Emmer's office. In just a few minutes, the bell will ding calling lawmakers to the House chamber to take the final vote on the bipartisan debt ceiling deal. And I just got finished talking with the two men responsible for getting that over the finish line. Emmer, the whip. We whipped this thing almost for two weeks solid. And his chief deputy whip, Guy Rushenthaler. What we were doing in our role was we were communicating with members where the deal was, what provisions were being discussed, and then relaying thoughts and concerns back to Speaker McCarthy. This is the behind-the-scenes story from inside the Republican whip office of how Kevin McCarthy's leadership team convinced House Republicans to raise the debt ceiling for two years and embrace his agreement with Joe Biden, an agreement that many on the right decried as a betrayal of the base. It's a story of how Emmer and Rushenthaler pulled together a divided and fractious conference, dodging a ballooning effort to oust McCarthy from the gavel and ultimately putting the ball back in Democrats' court. What can we take away, I guess, from these past, you know, few days and the fact that, you know, Republicans are going to be able to rally behind a debt ceiling bill? I mean, just to play devil's advocate, I mean, is this a real victory, given that you guys avert default? You got some spending concessions, perhaps not a lot. Uh, Some people would say you avoided McCarthy getting a motion to vacate, you know, in the middle of all this. But is the bar kind of low? Huh. I I love that question. I look the way I look at it. Uh, we have I, and Guy said this earlier today when we were talking. He said, "You realize that you guys write like every week. This is the next first big test for the whip team. Oh, this is the first big test for the whip team, and then we succeed on that one." Uh, look, a, as a team, we we understand when you compress this, when you have a very small uh, universe of people that are involved in negotiating a deal. We now know you have issues with uh, with the team because they all have talent. They all want to be heard. Uh, we we're going to have to do a better job, I think, as a whip team, uh, helping our leadership understand that uh, this has to be broader. Uh, people need to be in this process. The one that we saw from uh, January until uh, April, when we uh, or May, when we passed the uh, the first debt ceiling bill. That's what we have to continue when it comes to the farm bill, when it comes to appropriations bills, when it comes to FAA. And I think uh, what you'll see, uh, we'll pass the bill tonight. Uh, America will not default on its debt. Uh, And we will go to work, like Guy said, uh, making sure as a Republican uh, uh, majority under Kevin McCarthy that we go after the appropriations process. We try to restore an appropriations. Wouldn't you love it, Rachel, if we had conference committees again, if we can get the Senate to actually do some work for once uh, so that we can actually sit down and have a discussion over priorities, which is what the American people uh, expect. And we're just going to have to come back next week and we will uh, make sure the team gets back together again. Because remember, we're not a family, we're a team. 
teams do not have to love each other. They just have to know how to work together and how to succeed together. And I think Guy and I have proven that if you do that, I, I think this is a coaching job as much as anything. If you make sure that the players are celebrated and they have a, uh, an ability to succeed, you all succeed. I think a lot of this is just the muscle memory of winning. And we got to remember that from the very start of this majority, uh, individuals were doubting Speaker McCarthy. They were doubting the whip team. And we've been able to prove over and over again that we can move this conference forward. We can p- pass serious major pieces of legislation, everything from HR1, which was our energy policy bill, to the Parents' Bill of Rights. Um, to, to the debt ceiling, we've had legislative wins. If you would have told me, if I would have told you that we would have had Andrew Clyde pass a bill that dealt with the DC crime law and the president would sign that into law, if I would have said that at the beginning of January, people would have thought that I was crazy, but it ended up being signed into law. Uh, and that came from the Republican majority. So every, every, literally every week we've been here, we've passed major pieces of legislation when everybody thought that it couldn't be done. Is there any concern, I mean, you talk about muscle memory of winning, but is there any concern that sort of the honeymoon that Republican leadership has had with conservatives has started to fray now? Because, you know, there there were a lot of conservatives who I would always ask, hey, how's McCarthy doing? How's the leadership doing? And they say, oh, you know, they're doing a good job. And I was shocked because you never, I never expected to hear that from a Bob Good, um, a conservative from Virginia. Now they're unhappy after this. And so I guess I'm wondering, is there any trepidation about or concerned about how you guys are going to proceed in the future with passing bills, and are you going to have to change your strategy at all? I'll let you go first. I'm, I'm laughing about the honeymoon term, but you go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that right now, you know, you, you had a very serious issue with the debt ceiling. But moving forward, we're going to do what we've been doing. We've been valuing the opinion of members. We've been taking in their input, and we've been giving that to leadership. Conversely, we've been honest brokers with rank-and-file members with the priorities of, of leadership and the various bills. So we're just going to continue to, to keep our word, to keep our confidences with members, and to make sure that what they need in different pieces of legislation is is added to that legislation and what they need out of the legislation is an included legislation. That's how we're going to continue to have these wins. And I would say I was laughing about honeymoon because I'd love to hear what Kevin McCarthy would say. If you said, do you think the honeymoon is over? He would say what 15 votes. I mean, that's what we started with. And every week has been a new challenge. We have 435 members of this uh, U.S. House of Representatives. We have 222 of them on the Republican side. Not one of them is alike. They all have, You, I had a CEO, Rachel, saying to me, I don't understand why you guys can't do uh, remote uh, stuff. We do it with our boards all the time and we, we make it work. And I said, that's because you have one company that has a singular focus. You have different ways of getting to whatever that goal is, but it's one company. I said, we have 435 independent businesses. And uh, you got to take that attitude where every one of them needs to get into this mosh pit of the house and literally start working with one another and hearing one another. Your comment earlier, Guy, about uh, doing this remotely, you could do it remotely. I mean, we had a great operation over the weekend that was touching everybody. But until people are sitting across from one another and until they can literally have that human experience of like we had with somebody from the center of our conference and somebody from the uh, the right end of our conference where they both got together on a bill and literally they came out as friends and they're like, 
I had no idea that that's what this person would want. And this other one, I had no idea why he'd be pushing for this, right? So that kind of stuff, you get them into the room, you have these conversations and you can be successful. Gotcha. What, um, I understand that you guys are going to be, you've actually peeled off some Freedom Caucus members and obviously we're talking before the vote. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, given that the Freedom Caucus and members on the for the further side of the right have been very vocal in pushing back against this deal, saying it's not good enough? Um, can you can you talk at all about how you how you've been able to do that? I mean, I know Jim Jordan, obviously a big ally for the leadership team, was a supporter of this, is a supporter of this, yeah. but I mean that's a that's significant. If you've got some free well, got, look, I think uh, several of these uh, folks understand that there's a reason to vote for it, but they they're under the misconception. And who knows? Maybe they're right. We'll find out. Because I, I got to be clear. I, I view guy and I view this job is the speaker sets the agenda. The majority leader is working with committee chairs, and he's setting the agenda on the floor. Right, following that, we don't set an agenda. The uh, WHIPS office doesn't do that. We give information. We are the voice of the members up to the leadership, and then we are the communication piece from the leadership down to the members. Uh, We aren't the ones that are going to decide what's in a bill or what's not in a bill. Uh, We will tell them what we believe can pass if they ask us and how you do it. But uh, when it comes to these people that you're talking about, they're very thoughtful members. And they think, their belief is, that if you do not pass this, the Biden administration will come back to the table and will work with you even further. I I think, you know, I'll just speak as a member. I I don't think that's ever gonna happen and we've shared that with others. Uh, Literally what you're probably gonna get is you will put uh, Chuck Schumer back in charge over in the Senate. You mentioned this built up or pent up frustration that members had from the past few months. What was that from and did you guys feel like you mentioned, you know, people just need to like talk. They need to like vent. Tell me, tell us more about that. And everybody comes here, Rachel, to do something important for their hometown, for their district, for their state, for this country. Everybody has that high minded, uh, you know, righteous. I'm here to try and help this country move forward and they want to make a difference. I think when we went through the experience that we did the first week of electing a speaker and literally banging heads and trying to come to an understanding of who we are and who who we're going to be and how we might be able to work together. And then we started going through the process and learning how to work together and being successful. I think that solved a lot of internal problems for us or challenges for us. But the other one that was out there was you could not get a willing partner out of the White House and you could not get a darn thing out of the Senate. I mean, the most important thing the Senate has done all year so far is to name March Maple Syrup Month. I mean, that's not an accomplishment when you have people's retirement accounts, when you have their future literally hanging in the balance with a potential default. And I think when I talk about frustration, I believe a lot of this is under, it's almost your subconscious frustrated that you can't get the other side of this equation to sit down until the last, literally the last three weeks. That's when they finally agreed to do something. Well, some of the frustration though, clearly was directed at your own leadership and and the Republican majority itself. I mean, one question I had for you guys was, how did some of this talk specifically about whether conservatives might do a motion to vacate on McCarthy, how did that impact things? Like, did it actually 
make some of your members want to vote for this bill more to like protect McCarthy or did it, I don't know. I'm just curious, like, cause some of that anger was at McCarthy himself and you guys obviously had to deal with that because you were whipping the votes. So I'm curious, you know, what you I, saw from I that. honestly didn't get any feedback uh, that that was a real thing. I, it's all about okay. the bill and how we're going to do this. I took a lot of that talk just about bluster, but you talk about frustration. You know, I feel like in a body of 435 with a majority of 222, it's very easy for people to feel like their voice isn't being heard. So I think that you reduce frustrations, you reduce temperature, and you have a better work product with legislation that we're passing if you just give people the chance to be heard. And that's so much of what we do. I make numerous phone calls every single day to members members, numerous meetings. We have those listening sessions. And the more that we have buy-in, the more members are feeling like we're utilizing their talent. And trust me, there's tons of talent in the Republican conference. The the better it is for the, the members, uh, for the product, and also for the members feeling like they're making a difference here, because they are. What about one person we didn't hear from in all of this that I was sort of watching carefully was the former president. Um, there was a lot of thinking that, you know, he, during that CNN town hall a few weeks ago, said that Republicans, if you don't get everything you want, embrace default, which obviously the leadership would not agree with that. But um, I was sort of watching to see if he was going to weigh in. And I remember hearing that, you know, during the speaker's fight, he actually was pretty instrumental with some getting those final holdouts to back McCarthy. Was anybody talking to him? Were you guys talking to him? Like I, I don't know that that's accurate because I remember one call in particular that one member wouldn't answer. Oh, I do. I, I saw the picture of that one too. I, I mm-hmm. remember another one where uh, after I'm told a 40-minute uh, conversation, uh, it was reported back, yeah, I don't think you're going to get that vote. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know that that's accurate. But on this one... Well, they voted present after yeah, he yelled at them. I'm, well, I don't know that... It, that was before, and the present came uh, right at the end, and there's a, a story that someday will be told. But uh, I do think uh, on this, this was all about our members. And uh, while we, we understand that there are people out in the political universe that are all positioning themselves uh, for uh, different uh, campaign-type things, Guy and I have to focus on what's right here. Uh, that was not an issue as far as anybody that I talked to. Uh, the issue was, the complaint I got was, this isn't enough. The compliments I got was, I mean, finally, we got something uh, that we're going to move. Uh, and that's where our focus was. So none of that outside stuff came into anything that I was doing. I don't know if you got anything else. I think that often folks on the outside of the building think that other people on the outside of the building have a, a large influence on what goes inside with, with legislation, member-to-member relationships, and swaying member votes. I can tell you, being here... Um, really what moves legislation, what moves people from yes to no or uh, voting for for different individuals. It's about the member to member relationships. Uh, That's what really matters. It's very difficult to have somebody on the outside have sway over a member. uh, And that's what I found to be true time and time again. So how many Republicans will vote for this bill? And what is the significance of that number? Uh, We we whip Rachel, for 218 votes plus on every single bill. Uh, we'll see when we get to the floor tonight, uh, because I think uh, we it, it's been an interesting uh, journey, uh, and we've got members who came back with a lot of pent-up emotion, 
right, uh, at the end. And I think the emotion started in January when they thought that we were going to get this administration to work on solving this problem well in advance. And literally, it got compressed to just the last few days. And while they're all at home celebrating uh, the men and women and their families who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, they get a call that they're coming back to Washington, D.C. on a week where they were supposed to be all working their districts and their calendars were all done. Let's just say that presented some unique challenges. And uh, I think uh, Guy and I have been uh, enjoying the challenge uh, ever since. Unique challenge is one way to put it. I mean, yesterday was looking really grim for you guys. Um, Let's see, you had the Freedom Caucus holding a press conference saying that this deal was a betrayal of the GOP majority and of the base. Trump allies were lighting you guys up on social media. And then Dan Bishop and Chip Roy were even suggesting that they need changes to the deal or they might oust McCarthy. But by last night, it seems like cooler heads had prevailed. So, like, what happened in that 24 hours? Well, I think one thing that happened is just the amount of work that we were that the whip and I were putting in, making sure we were making the phone calls, dispelling rumors, for example. And that just didn't start yesterday. We we were here over the the holiday weekend uh, making calls and former informing members. We weren't negotiating any part of the deal. I want to be clear about that. What we were doing in our role was we were communicating with members where the deal was, what provisions were being discussed, and then relaying thoughts and concerns back to Speaker McCarthy and the team that was negotiating. But getting back to yesterday, the conference itself, I think, calmed a lot of nerves down. I think when people have the chance to speak, the chance to be heard, uh, and other members hear where other members are and where they're coming from, it really helps get people uh, to a better place. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Is there a member in particular you guys can can give an example of, or a couple members, or meeting you guys had where somebody had a bunch of misconceptions about the bill and you sort of walked them through and... They sort of, they end up voting with the team or you're expecting them to vote with the team? So, Rich, you got to understand, both of us come from legal backgrounds and we've talked to our members since we got here about this place being like a small town law office. You share your most personal business with us. We don't share your business with anybody. We don't, we don't attribute anything to our members, which I know for people in your business is tough because a lot of people will share some of these things that are going on behind closed doors. I would tell you generally that there have been numerous members, and I I will turn it over to Guy, because both of us, the way this works, we start with lists, and then we literally cross over, and we do the same list that the other person just did again. Mm. We probably have touched everybody in this conference since uh, Friday, Saturday, when they said something was going to start moving. We've touched everybody at least once, if not three times. Uh, And what I found over time, we had a problem because language wasn't out until Sunday night. Mm -hmm. 
So that caused a problem. Once the language was out, then Guy and I could actually do the person to person. All right, let me answer your questions. If I can't answer it, we've got research people that can. I think uh, it started out with a lot of people hearing things, uh, believing things, uh, outside groups uh, stimulating discussion that wasn't accurate. Uh, even some of our members saying things that aren't accurate that other members are hearing and saying, where is this coming from? I think uh, we were able to deal with a lot of that uh, over the last uh, 24 hours in particular, Guy. Yeah, and I think that just going back with all the the must-pass bills and all the large pieces of legislation that we've whipped so far, a lot of that goes, um, a lot of that comes from us just talking to members one-on-one. And the WIP and I have been doing what we call listening sessions, where we'll bring in six, maybe eight people, tops, uh, just members. We make sure that we make it clear that there's no attribution, that there's going to be confidences that are kept in that room. And we ask, what do you need for this bill? What do you, what can't you stand in this bill? And then what we do is we take all that information, we collect what I call a critical mass or center of gravity, and we we provide that to the speaker's office. That's really where um, where the first vote on this Limit Save Grow Act came from. It was a product of those listening sessions where most members were in agreement with that framework. That's actually where I was going to back up and go to next, because even though you guys have not been in the room negotiating this you know deal, you've been talking about it for months now. I mean, um, in terms of those listening sessions, what came out of that? Like, did you? Did you guys go to to Speaker McCarthy and say, we keep hearing about work requirements, we keep hearing about uh, you know fiscal 2022 levels, or like what it what what came of those specifically in terms so of that bill? Just picking up on what Guy was just sharing with you was that uh, these listening sessions, small groups here in the Whip's office, one on one, with Guy talking to somebody, myself, we bring back. He talks about the critical mass, but it's data. We, we go back to our research guys. They're able to start pinpointing. I, I mean, work requirements were something we heard across the, uh, the conference. Uh, and what ends up happening from there is probably halfway through March, our research team sets up an appointment with the speaker's office and the majority leaders. Uh, uh, conference chair might have been there as well. And they show them the data. They, they walk them through the data. A week later, Guy and I, I mean, we can talk about it now. I gave Kevin a piece of paper that said, these are the things that we believe we can get 218 on. This is where the intersection, uh, Guy calls it the critical mass. I call it the intersection of both ends of our conference where they meet. Uh, Kevin told us as we were leaving for for, uh, Easter recess, he said, if you guys think you can get 218, do it and let me know how it goes. Uh, We whipped this thing almost for two weeks solid. And incredibly, Rachel, nobody talked about it. I wonder why that is. There were no leaks. We were uh, literally talking to our members and I would say, uh, and I think Guy, you can add to it because you probably did it the same way. We never compared notes, but it was like uh, calling them up and saying, uh, hey, I want to run through a potential framework with you. And they go, well, just send it to me. And I would say, no. We are not going to send this to anyone. This is not a deal. We're trying to gauge whether or not you would be in favor of this. And I would tell them, get a pen. So the get framework actually came from the WIP meetings specifically. It came, you, it came from, from this office. Yeah. It came from the listening sessions that we did. And it was numerous meetings. Sometimes we were having two or three of these meetings a day. 
during the session week. Uh, some members came to multiple listening sessions, and that that is where the framework came together. At least the original product that we presented uh, to, to the speaker's office. But we're just not doing it with the debt ceiling issue. We've been having it with the FAA. We've had ones on the NDAA. Uh, we've had some on the the farm bill already. So we're taking this. We're taking these listening sessions and using it as a format to make sure that we are being a conduit for the rank and file members to leadership. And that way, when we go to whip votes, we know where people are and we know that the product that we're whipping reflects where the conference is as a whole. But you only can do that with one-on-one -on -one interactions with members. Sure. And specifically, I remembered thinking there was a question at one point whether you guys would actually put up a GOP debt ceiling bill. And that ended up being a very smart move by McCarthy because a lot of Democrats, the White House said, you guys can't unite around anything on this topic. Uh, what would you say was the significance of being able to actually pass a, a Republican debt ceiling bill with 218 It votes? made all the difference. I mean, you wouldn't have any bill right now uh, that the Republicans had a say in had, uh, had we not done that. But I think what people don't understand is, uh, and Guy, you say this best because we talk about it once in a while. You should talk about how you have the different heads of these uh, groups that we have, but they don't always speak for the entire group. Right. It's so common now that when people talk about the Republican conference uh, coming to the majority that we have these different factions or the, it's called the five families, which I, I really don't prefer that term, but uh, I don't like the connotations with that. But, but there's this idea that you can go to the head of these groups and cut a deal with them or, or hear what they want and they speak for everybody in that group. That is just not the case. Uh, th these are not monolithic blocks of, uh, uh, of members. What we find to be much more productive is when you talk to members one-on-one -on -one and you have those small groups. Also what's very productive is when you have those small groups, but you have somebody that might be from the Freedom Caucus or you might have somebody that is from Main Street. So they hear everybody talking in the different opinions. So they get an understanding of what is actually realistic, what the different uh, ideological uh, sways of the conference might, might tolerate or might demand. That's, I think that's very productive. Garrett Graves and Patrick McHenry were the ones that were in the room negotiating this deal. Would they come to you guys with like ideas that the White House had and say, look, they're really pushing hard on this. Is there any way we could do this? Like, and you guys would, knowing the members and the rank and file that you've been meeting with so frequently about this issue, was there any conversations between the WIP office and, you know, the negotiators about what could actually pass? No. No. That could be a challenge for you guys because... You didn't see it. You didn't know. You were just being told. These are the details. Go whip. Uh, the speaker uh, gave me a couple of uh, uh, heads up of potential things, uh, and uh, that was that was about it. They they basically it was uh, two people I think doing doing the work, and no. We, we were not negotiating the deal, but what we really needed to do is we needed to make sure we were dispelling rumors and making sure members were in the know. Uh, and that's really what we did over the weekend. And then when the deal came together and there was an agreement, then it, it was up to us to just see where the yeses were and yeah. where the noes when were. When there was language. When there was language, yes. Right. And then provide that data to the leader and speaker's office. Was there ever a moment when you saw or heard about the deal, maybe before or after you saw the final text, where you said, 
okay, McCarthy apparently told Jeffries he would deliver about 150 votes. Was there ever a freak out? Like, okay, this is going to be a lot of work. Can we actually do this? Let, let, me, let me be clear. Kevin McCarthy has never told Guy or myself uh, that he expects uh, to have Democrat votes to pass this. Uh, he understood our job from day one is to make sure the members know they're the most important uh, piece of this puzzle. Our job is to work with members. And again, I, I know that it tires people to hear it, but we don't plan for that. We plan for 218 votes. That's our job. That's what we have to do. I want to back up for a second and talk about your guys' relationship. So, Congressman, you were instrumental in getting him uh, the whip elected, right? You did the whip for the whip. It was, it was all the um, whip. I'm wondering, did you guys know each other well before that? And, like, how did – just tell me a little bit about your relationship. Well, I'll tell you when I met him. I met him when he was running – uh, I believe for the first time, you didn't get here. Uh, it, it was a, uh, a contested, uh, weird proceedings you guys do in Pennsylvania. A, a conferee for a special election. We have yeah. a bunch of delegates pick the nominee. We don't have a primary and a special election. And I was running in this conferee. And uh, as the whip said, I, I didn't make it here my first time through the conferee process. Yeah, but you would have, I think, if you would have been the candidate. And, uh, you know, that's the way it works when you're going through that process. But then as soon as Guy did get here, I mean, I, I would argue that uh, we've been friends from the moment he got here. I, I, I've told him that I just see him probably because of his youth and good looks be, <laughs> being around here a lot longer than I am. And I, 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 you, you see leaders uh, when they walk in the room, you know, and Guy's one of those people. And he's also uh, in, in this town, which I, I believe in politics, you have a lot of people who are very self-interested and ambitious in their own uh, thing. I'm a team guy, and I just happened to meet another guy who is a team guy. It's about, you know, we don't have to uh, be given credit. Uh, it's amazing when everybody gets the credit how well we, we can succeed. And I think the selflessness uh, actually attracted me to Guy. And yes, what we found out through the whips race and now since we've been working together, uh, it's a very good team. We match up extremely well. What do you guys bond over? Is it like sports? I don't know. I don't a guy can tell you. There's several things. Ice fishing. <laughs> I mean, lately it's been roses. Wait, has he taken it's you been, ice fishing? Uh, no, I've not been ice fishing Wait, yet, but I would, on, I, I would love to go. But no, I have a, I have a great whip Ember story. So I was very fortunate when I got here. I was elected to the leadership table to represent the freshman class. And of course, whip Ember was there because the, he was the NRCC chair. And there was a, I can't disclose private conversations of those meetings, but there was a particular member who everybody just kind of uh, tiptoed around, so to speak. And it reached a boiling point. And uh, Speaker McCarthy, then Leader McCarthy, asked the staff to leave the room, and it was just the members. And Whip Emmer just laid it out on the table, all the, all the issues, uh, no holds bar. And I was just, I was just thinking, I like this guy's style. It was pretty, pretty early on, but I, I never saw somebody that direct. And frankly, a lot of what was said needed to be said. And then I just watched Whip Emmer in his position as being, being chair of the NRCC. I mean, he defied the odds two election cycles in a row. Uh, remember, we lost it. We lost the Senate. We lost the White House. We still picked up seats uh, in the House. We did that the, the previous cycle, too. 
And I just felt that this is a guy who has a proven track track record of winning. And uh, with the exception, I, I would say Kevin McCarthy has more to do with bringing us into the majority than anybody else in the conference. Do you guys talk to each other more than, you know, your significant others probably? Because you're at least in the past few weeks. I don't think so. I think Guy is uh, is really good about uh, making sure that Jennifer is in on everything. And you know what? Jackie and I, we're, we're at that stage where we've got seven kids out of the house. They're all getting married. They're moving on with their careers. So it's, uh, yeah, Jack and I will talk three, four times a day. Uh, Guy does too. So Rachel, I'm, I'm never going to take that bait and say, oh, yeah, I, I talked to Guy more. And I, I know I know in his early uh, marital years that uh, he, he'll understand what I'm talking about. What were these rumors that troubled some of your members over the weekend? And what did you guys do to push back? What's being included? What's not being included? Right. I can't, I can't remember the exact. Um, there, there were so many rumors that are swirling around, but we had to make sure that uh, people understood for, for one thing, it was just making sure that there had been no final agreement agreed to because for, uh, I'd say one or two days over the weekend, there was a rumor that there had already been an agreement right. and everything was put to It bed. was the leaks that were coming out through different uh, media folks here on the, on the Hill. And literally we had to verify, no, there is not a deal and we'd have to push right. back. Good and, remember, I was going to say in a body of 435 people, especially when members aren't here, it's always easy for people to get worked up when they're hearing rumors or their leaks or looking at their Twitter feed, for example. So what we were trying to do and what we often try to do is just provide as much information as possible. And we want to make sure the information we're providing to the members is accurate. Conversely, we want to make sure the feedback we're getting from the members and we're conveying to the leader and the speaker, we want to make sure that that feedback is accurate and representative of the conference as a whole. And that was really what we were doing over the weekend, just like that's what we've been doing the whole time since we've been in this office. So what, without getting into specifics, because clearly you guys are don't want to talk names, but once the text did come out, when you did hear concerns from members, I mean, what was your sort of game plan to sort of sell it? I guess again, it depends on the member, but... Again, you collect all the information and you relate it back to the speaker's office uh, and the majority leader. I mean, we're letting them know. Uh, this is where things are at. This, these are the questions people have. And then give them the chance. I mean, we've got to research people, too, who will answer uh, the easy ones. But give them a chance to give us whatever information is necessary to deal with these uh, these concerns. I think you did the same thing. Mm -hmm. did, did you want to add? Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, did you guys have to call close allies of some of these lawmakers to try to lean on people? I know that Pelosi, when she was... She would actually do a lot of the whipping herself, but she would sometimes like have religious leaders call members or donors. Can you take us into like the strategy? Is it all just conversation with the member or are you going to the outside to, to put pressure on? Well, Guy, I, I'm going to let you because you might have some other ones. But no, I did not do that. We didn't have the time this time. That was the other thing we were able to do last time. We were able to socialize with all the members and their ideas. And then we were able to socialize with people who are outside of this building that this is actually what the members, where they're at and what it's about. And you saw the result. The result was uh, you had uh, groups literally endorsing the, the last deal. This time we didn't have that luxury because, again, you had language on Sunday night. You had a holiday on Monday. Mm -hmm. You didn't literally get people into town on Tuesday. And then they were trying to do an amendment process that didn't happen. And, 
that kind of stuff. Right. We, so we don't like to go outside to get individuals to put pressure on individual members. We will talk with other members, though, and see. But for example, this weekend, we, uh, Stephanie Bice from Oklahoma was here. Uh, my good friend, um, Brian Style came in, Kelly Armstrong, uh, Dusty Johnson, for example. And they were working with us, making calls, but it was really to get the message out, explain what the agreement was. And then when it comes to that, we you know, sometimes we'll take a member. So for example, Kelly Armstrong, I'd argue is an expert in the oil and gas industry. We're going to have him talk to people that have oil and gas interests in their districts or people that that's just a priority for them with with permitting reform, with the MVP project, for example, that that's in this deal. Uh, And then sometimes you look at geography, you look at um, Stephanie Bice. We had her talking to a bunch of members from Oklahoma and Texas. And then you also have an ideological concern where, for example, uh, Dusty Johnson, who's the chair of the Republican Main Street Caucus, we had him just talking to his members. So we did have to divide out and you do it strategically, but we don't like to bring in outside groups. We like to have member on member relationships. And what was the, for those who would end up telling you they were disinclined to actually support this bill, what was like the top issue uh, for them? And how did you guys go about trying to change their minds? Well, for me, the top issue that I heard over and over is it's not enough. Yeah. You know, this country is uh, barreling towards uh, a uh, financial catastrophe. Uh, we've got to do more. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, that was the number one thing. And then you had to go through. We have one half of one third of government. Uh, you know, the people that were negotiating this deal, we assume we're doing the best they could do. Uh, and this is what we got. And it's a two point one trillion dollar cut to government. It's the single largest deficit reduction bill in the history of this country, and it's got some other good things in it. So that was basically my pitch. Right. And we got to remember where we started from. Joe Biden and the Democrats were saying they wouldn't even negotiate a debt ceiling. They wanted a clean uh, clean debt ceiling increase. So just getting the Democrats to the negotiating table, forcing Biden to name negotiators and give concessions, that in and of itself was a huge win. Plus, with the $2.1 trillion reduction over six years, that's a huge win. It's a big win that we broke one-to-one parity with defense discretionary spending and non-defense discretionary. That's another win. The 1% cap I, I think is incredibly important, especially assuming we're going to have five or six, seven percent inflation for the next several years, which I, I think is very likely that uh, you have a reduction every year just with a one percent cap relative to inflation. So there are a lot of wins wins in this agreement. Uh, it's not everything we all wanted. We all wanted, but it's not a clean debt ceiling, and it does do something to bring spending under control. And, and lastly, we got to remember this isn't the last bite at the apple. We're going to have another bite at this in 2025, hopefully when we control the White House and we control the Senate. We're also going to have the appropriations process this summer and fall, which will give us an opportunity to take those FY22 spending levels that we agreed to uh, with discretionary spending and reprioritize from last year. So we'll be able to fund our priorities and move funding away from some of the things that we view as outside what should be the scope of federal government or priorities that we don't agree with as conservatives. Well, hey, guys, uh, good luck in your vote in a few hours. Are we going to see 150? Final question. We're shooting for 218. And that's our show. Our producers are Kara Tabor and Afra Abdullah. 
Our senior producer is Alex Keeney. I'm Rachel Bade, Playbook co-author and your host today. Ryan Lizza is Playbook Deep Dive's host and executive producer. Jenny Ahmet is Politico's executive producer of audio. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Please subscribe to Playbook Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.